Raising black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear and I wanted to make a commitment to parent for liberation. You are listening to the Parenting for Liberation podcast. I am your host, Trina Green-Brown. Each episode, I'm joined by other Black parents, and we discuss our journeys to push past our fears to raise our beautiful Black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Hey, everyone. This is Trina with Parenting for Liberation. I'm here with Chimay. Morales James, who is a social liberation and equity coach who founded My Reflection Matters in 2016. She is an unschooling parent of two, and she is currently, you know, living the best life of unschooling because she is joining us from the baseball field with her kids in the middle of the day um, and really living her best life. So uh, thank you, Shemay, for being on the call. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to finally talk with you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you've been doing some great work, and um, I'm actually happy wow. to talk to you um, so that you can help folks like myself who are struggling with <laughs> just trying to figure out how they can be uh, liberated parents in this moment of COVID, trying to figure mm. out virtual learning, are going back to school, and what is school and what's unschooling and what's de-schooling and what's homeschooling. It's just like all the school conversations have been happening um, since earlier this year when we all kind of had to rethink school. Um, and yeah. and then you created this virtual village for folks um, to really be intentional about rethinking school. Um, mm-hmm. And so just really wanted to talk to you because... You know, I need your help. People need your help. We need some help. Help us help ourselves. <laughs> well, I need help, too, which is why, you know, selfishly the village is around because I am also as much a villager as everyone else in that space. So I'm on the journey with everybody. <laughs> yes. OK, so let's let's first just start with, like, tell us a little bit about the village. Um, yeah. Tell folks about the village, the My Reflection Matters village. Yeah, so My Reflection Matters Village is a virtual co-learning community. Really, um, it, you know, it's primarily for, we center the identities of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. Does that mean, like, white families can't be there? Not necessarily. We do have white families in our space, but we are very clear around, you know, that this is a space where we do center BIPOC um, families, youth, and educators. Um, so sometimes there are times where we might have conversations that are just speaking to BIPOC folks and the experiences that we have, right, that are unique to living racialized uh, society. And so the idea really was to provide a this virtual network of support for radical caregivers and even educators, folks that are taking care of children. That could be a parent, it could be an auntie, it could be a grandparent, it could be a teacher, a counselor. Uh, but they recognize that the current system of education just, you know, is not doing the thing, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they come here really, we center self-directed education specifically because there's all like, you know, different sort of ideologies or philosophies around how we can look at education. Um, but we center self-directed education uh, because I believe, you know, if we are supporting families and educators to live their freest life, right, you know, to mm-hmm. raise free people, um, then that requires us 
to decolonize a lot of our own learning and parenting. There, it requires us to engage in a lot of healing from the trauma of oppression. Um, and, and self-directed education for me really is a form of education that opens the door to liberation because it forces you to have to actually like reconsider the roles <laughs> of adults and young people. Mm. So when we think about the roles of adults and young people, most of the time it's a very hierarchical role, right? When we think about any space, whether it's at home, whether it's in school or in a classroom, most adults view children as, you know, they're, they're the bottom of the totem pole, right? And, they're, and, and our job as adults is to coerce them into learning, to coerce them into behaving, to coerce them into figure it out. And so with self-directed education kind of flips that paradigm around and mm. it tries to really push us to look at children as human beings. And when you look at someone as, when you can humanize children, right, then um, there's no way that you can humanize someone and that there's a hierarchy, right? Like that, that's not possible. Like that doesn't go hand in hand, right? <laughs> so it really pushes us to have to rethink how we're parenting um, our kids and also trusting that they can actually lead their own education, which that's the hardest part, I think, for a lot of folks and a lot of the reasons why they come here because they're recognizing, wow, like I'm ready for something different. What the schools are offering is not it. Um, and I want something different for my kids. And so what we're saying with self-directed education is we're saying, look, you know, one, families have, you can act, you actually have the power and control to like make decisions around learning and education, right? Like you don't actually need a system to tell you all of that, right? That's, that's a colonized mindset. Schooling is an experiment. You know, our ancestors never required a school or a formal institution to teach them how to live and survive, right? Like learning is something that our bodies and our spirits were born to do naturally, instinctually, and through colonization, slavery, and all different forms of oppression, we have been conditioned and desensitized to, to move away from our indigenous practices around parenting and education. So the village really is a space where we're trying to reconnect to that. We're trying to provide learning experiences, not just for young people, but especially for the caregivers and children's lives to decolonize our concepts of learning and parenting. Mm. Um, and I'm still in that journey and I will be on that journey for the rest of my life. <laughs> same, <laughs> oh, <it's> same. Not, <laughs> not end, you know, there's no end to it. <laughs> yes. When people are like, Oh, you're a liberated parent. Cause you know, you have this platform, parent of liberation and then right. you wrote this book. So obviously like you're liberated, you're done. And I'm all like, yeah. no, no, <laughs> I'm like, join me on the journey because it is uh -huh. long, bending, windy with some drops sometimes and some hills to climb. But it's a journey. Um, and it's I'm, a journey. It's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's definitely like there's no end point where I'm like, oh, yes, it's official. I am a liberated parent. It's definitely a journey, um, especially as my children yeah. continue to grow and thrive and shift and go through their own changes and live their experiences like the type of parent that they need will continue to grow and evolve. And so I continue to grow and evolve in yeah. that. Um, really appreciate you for even helping us to even begin the conversation about what does it mean to decolonize our parenting, decolonize um, education and how, you know, slavery, um, colonization and all of those forms of oppression have really um, separated us from our uh, ancestral ways mm -hmm. of, of being in relationship to our children. Right. When I went back to Ghana, 
um, just really like remembering the sacredness of children um, and and like their proximity to the ancestral realm or the other plane, right? Like they Mm -hmm. have not been as tarnished and impacted by the world. And so they come into the world, not as um, empty vessels that need to be like uh, guided and and directed in a very, in a very like harsh way, right? Like they can actually explore and like make uh, and learn in that way. So then I have Mm -hmm. to, so I have to be, uh, you know, I don't have to be devil's advocate, but of course I I want to be because, (laughs) You know, you said like self-directed learning, um, which to some people might be like, oh, my gosh, we're letting the kids just like tell us everything they want to learn and they just choose. (laughs) And what if your kid, you know, like my teenager who wants to play video games, like what if that's the learning that like that's how he wants to spend his time if he didn't have to be in school? Like what how do you um, what do you say to folks who are like. If I let my child choose, they're going to choose to play video games or, you know, other things that aren't that don't feel educational. The, like the parents yeah, are going to assume so, it's mean, not educational. Yeah. So, I mean, well, and that also is a form of colonization, right? Like exactly. the idea that we've allowed schools to define what teaching and learning is supposed to look like, what academics and, you know, what is educational look like. Right. So, like, part of this work is, you know, really forcing ourselves to identify what are the schoolishness, like ideas, thoughts, and behaviors that we need to let go of <laughs> through this work. Mm. Um, like, you know, like the idea, like our kids have to teach, have to learn certain subjects, right? Um, they're like, that's the, these are all sort of like arbitrary things that, well, not arbitrary. They were intentional. They were intentionally designed because school was designed as a factory model. You know, there mm-hmm. were very specific things and skills that were being taught to, you know, poor communities, um, black and brown indigenous communities, so that they can serve, you know, the the elite in our community. But to go back to your question, which is, it's funny because this came up again in the village. It comes up often. I know it does. It's the biggest thing. My kids will choose to play video games. How do we (laughs) give them choice? I need to make them learn, right? Like that's the, that's the struggle. So help us. So here's the thing that, you know, and everyone, you know, I'm an unschooler, which is a form of self-directed education, right? There's sort of self-directed edu- education can look different ways. Uh, with unschooling, you know, I, I've chosen to opt out of, like, using a prescriptive curriculum or anything like that. Like, as an unschooler, we believe, like, learning happens 24-7. Like, even when we dream, we're learning, right? Um, mm. And so we – so when it comes to this idea of self-directed education on schooling – Responsive personal responsibilities and health and our responsibilities to our bodies and our community is, you know, is a part of this work, right? So when we talk about, you know, what about my kid, you know, they want to sit all day, you know, in front of a screen for like eight hours, what do I do? Do I just let them? Well, maybe radical unschoolers might say that's okay. (laughs) I don't consider myself a radical unschooler because I believe that we – as a, we live as a community, right? Like my kids don't just have to think about themselves in our space and our home. They also have to think about how that also impacts everyone in our space, right? So like, yeah, there's still responsibilities around cleaning up, right? There's still responsibilities about taking care of each other in this space. There's responsibilities about taking care of our health, right? Because even just sitting in front of a computer for like eight hours is just physically not healthy for anybody. <laughs> and so we have very, we have very explicit conversations around around that with screen time and talking about like 
what are some of the boundaries? And so my kids are part of that decision making, right? Like it's not just me and my husband saying like, this is what we're going to do and you have to follow it. We sit together as a family and say, okay, let's talk about screen time. Let's talk about there are the benefits to that because I'll tell you what, I know a lot of kids in the home education world that have learned how to read through Minecraft, right? That learned, my son, you know, has learned how to spell through playing video games because, you know, he has to type things, you know, up on the screen or read things up on a screen. So there's a lot of basic skills or everyday, you know, life skills that our kids do learn through gaming. They don't need eight or 10 hours to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would tell parents is how are you having conversations about like the, the pros and the cons of everything? And then like allowing space for your kids to also make decisions to self to, you know, encourage them to self-regulate their own behaviors, you know, to make decisions around, like, what's too much. So we've talked about, like, what's too much, right? Like, my kids said, well, we wanted one day of the week where we could just, like, get on and we can play with our, you know, our friends, you know, at night for whatever amount of time. Um, cool, that's great. Do you want another day out of the week? No, I'm good. I'm good with that one day. I think my son came the other day. He's like, maybe I might want to add one more day to that. So I'm like, okay, if we add another day, what does that look like? When's that going to happen throughout the day? But, I mean, my kids are about to turn nine and seven. And that, now they're still learning how to self-regulate. But I'll be honest, like, when it comes to the gaming, they've, they've gotten pretty good at just self-regulating, you know, regulating their own behaviors. And I'm not saying because, oh, my God, they're like the greatest kids and they have me as their mother. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but I, I contribute, not at all, because I can tell you about all of the other things that, like, don't go very well. But... Um, <laughs> But I really owe it to really the conversations uh, and and the fact that they have ownership mm. in what their responsibilities and boundaries are, like ownership around defining what the responsibilities and boundaries are around gaming. And when kids have ownership to, like, establishing what those boundaries are for themselves, for their family, like, nine out of ten, ten times, like, kids, like, can do it. <laughs> like, they can. Honestly, they put it's so, so true. They, they really can. <laughs> it's so true. Like, they I can. I mean, because they, they, they have the ability. They understand right and wrong. Yeah. They understand fairness. Yeah. They understand justice. And if you explain to them about the pros and cons and health and risk, kids are actually really sensible. <laughs> when they we, are more than us. <laughs> they are. Like if you give them all the information, I think it's it's when we don't provide them all the information and we just tell them this is the choice that they seem unreasonable, but they're actually not. Like we wouldn't like it as adults if someone came in and told us like we have to stop doing a certain thing that we're enjoying to do without really actually talking to us about well what do we think and what do we want, you know? Um so yeah, I really appreciate you. Like you're definitely practicing, you know, what I would say would be like a liberated parenting approach just in having those conversations and letting them have agency, giving them voice, allowing them to make choices um, for themselves. Um, Because when you do, they will make good choices, I honestly think. I agree with you. I mean, kids are just, unfortunately, in our our society, right, not in other parts of the world or not, not even in the way many of our ancestors practice parenting. But in this here, in the context of the U.S., like kids are used to just being owned and that's a horrible like word to say but that's what they're used to and there's nothing liberating about feeling owned by someone right someone who's like people who are trying to always control what you do what you eat when you play when you sleep when you you know what i'm saying so well it's no wonder why kids rebel right at a certain like rebellion is is 
you know, in other parts of the world and in other cultures where this, there is not this sort of hierarchy between adults and children, like, rebellion doesn't exist. Mm. <laughs> it exists here because there's just so much controlling that happens in relationships between adults and between kids. And I noticed that with my parenting. Like, you know, listen, this, this stuff is hard and it's real because I'm 42 years old. I have how many years of, like, unlearning this? You know, I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't raised in this way. I, w- I was raised like most people where like your parents told you what to do. They told you what, where you should go to school, how your life should be. And that's the end. Right. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to like decondition ourselves from. And I noticed that when I fall in those bad, you know, those bad habits, you know, um, that's when, that is when the tension happens between us. That is when the rebellion starts. I'm no, I'm not going to do it. Right. Right. Because you're, you're telling, I'm not going to do it because you're telling me, you know, to do it. So I'm not going to do it. Right. And Mm. so those are the moments where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this foolishness stuff. I need to like sit back and take five deep breaths and come back. Wait, did you (laughs) say you're doing schoolishness, like foolishness, but with the school in front? Is that what you said? Yes. Schoolishness. Yeah, uh, schoolishness behavior. <laughs> never heard that. That must be some part of this unschooling culture language. I didn't make it up. So <laughs> I, I, I attribute that. The first time I heard it was through Akila S. Richard. So I, I, accredit, I credit Akila. If she got it from someone else, I don't know who, but I always assumed it was Akila who came up with that. <laughs> but I love it. I love this idea that we're, that it definitely resonates like that. We have a lot of the work to do as the parent around unpacking our own assumptions and our own internalized depression that we are, you know, inflicting upon our children when we come up with these rules and things of that nature. Like, we need to pause and interrogate. Why is that a rule that I'm making up? Is that something I actually Mm -hmm. really think should be in my house? Or is that because it's something that I learned or something that was passed down to me? And did I like that as a child? Um, and how would I feel if someone told me the same thing I'm telling my child right now? Um, you know, and I think it is a lot of that. Like, it's like we're talking about, oh, what do you do with your, for your kids in schooling? And we're spending a lot of time talking about, oh, it's about unpacking our own stuff as the adults. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I mean, even about the kids yet. We're just talking about ourselves. No. So, I mean, so the it's interesting because, like, the village, there's, like, there's multiple things happening, right? Like, people come here and, and there's different sort of levels of membership like folks can enter the main network it's free to get in and there's like these two little paid memberships we have and our full paid membership which is our co-learning for liberation membership is really for like the families that are like we're i'm ready to d- dive deep like um you know i you know i really want to figure out like how what is liberated at learning and parenting look like in my household i want to pour around that and i also want to be in community with other families that are thinking like this and how can we co-create customized learning experiences for our kids based on their passions, needs, and cultural needs, right? right? And so in that space, we do that. Like, we're meeting up on Zoom, and we have people from, like, all over, right? Um, and we're, we're doing inventories with our kids, like, what do you like? What drives you? Like, what's the thing that really gets you excited? And then we're coming together. We're thinking, okay, well, let's barter some skills and resources amongst our community. You know, we've got a lot of kids who are interested in, like, painting or art. Um, who's got those skills? Well, we've got a mom and we've got two other kids that are interested. So we have a mix of like young people, adults that are co-facilitating these virtual learning experiences that again are really driven by feedback from young people. Yeah. Um, and so there's that going on, you know, how are we co-creating to support 
the decolonized learning for our kids and also how are we also supporting our own, you know, liberation. And that's why we do like these live, you know, virtual chats once or twice a month with leaders in self-directed education movements. I know that you're coming, you're, you'll be coming with us or to visit us in February. I think we have you down, right? I'll be coming. <laughs> yes, we do. So, um, and then there's like workshops also for, for, for folks. Um, you know, we have a workshop coming up around, it takes a village, not a pod to raise free people, you know, mm. now with whole movement of pods, right? Um, which is not, it's funny when I first started hearing about pods, I'm like, um, you mean like cooperatives and like what people always did in villages and communities? <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's been the practice that has existed like forever before the institution of schooling, right? Um, so those kinds of learning experiences are there, opportunities for us to engage in healing. You know, we had um, Leslie Priscilla from Latinx Parenting. I don't know if you follow her. Yes, shout out uh, to Leslie. <laughs> yes, Leslie phenomenal she's also she's also in the village too and she's you know we did a live chat with her around peaceful parenting and like you know what does it mean to end chancla culture to think about you know punishment culture and uh you know how do we begin to shift away from that so um there's like these two things happening you know these you know there's like the support yes for our young people but then there's also the support that we need as the adults Mm -hmm. and navigating self-directed education and liberated parenting because you can't do this alone right exactly you just can't. <laughs> we can't. And I I appreciate that the multi-pronged like ways that you're offering support is definitely in alignment with Parenting for Liberation, right? Like the book starts with ourselves when um, the book yeah. around Parenting for Liberation is like really a lot around the inner work, right? We have to do our own healing work. Yep. Then we can talk about how do we like practice liberation with ourselves and then also liberate ourselves and therefore we can liberate our children. And how do we do this in community? And so you just named just yeah. all the ways that, you know, you are providing um, in the village, right? Regardless of what parents are doing, whether we're homeschooling, unschooling, de-schooling, all of the things, yeah. that the village has so many things to offer, right? And I've looked up some of the offerings, so folks, check out the <laughs> village, right? Like, they're not just, like, download this PDF and facilitate it. There's, like, it's culturally relevant curriculum, right? It's not just ma- a math class. It's like motherland math, right? Um, yeah, it's yeah. not just like, oh, read these books. Here's some books. It's like, oh, no, there's some dynamic <laughs> storytelling that's happening. Like your children can like watch yeah. this dynamic interactive storyteller. Um, it's not just like, you know, content that's just like, oh, learn the ABCs. It's like, no, it's right. socially justice. It's social justice infused, right? Like you have ABCs of the Black Panther Party, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it, the curriculum mm-hmm. and the offerings um, are interactive and it's not like boring, right? Like you said, it's informed by the kids. So like kids would actually really be interested in it. Um like, I just saw yeah. that you're having a graffiti and spray paint class We started up. yesterday. I would think I was having more fun than the kids. <laughs> I was having a blast. Yeah. we uh, and, our, and things are intergenerational. So, like, that ha- that's normal. Like, it's normal in our community for parents to be sitting alongside their kids in a class and learning, co-learning a lot. I mean, that's what co-learning is. It's the idea that learning is not a, you know, the education of our children is not this, like, you take your kids and you plop them here and then you separate yourselves from their experience. Like, the, the their experience is connected to your learning experience, right? Mm. Uh, and so there are a lot of intergenerational learning experiences in the village. There's no such thing as, like, your kids are not allowed here, right? Unless there's something very specific that, you know, we have to, you know, that, that you know, we're having that, you know, 
somehow maybe if having a, a certain topic or something might not be appropriate for children. But for the most part, like I haven't, I'm trying to think there's nothing in the village that I would say is not appropriate for, for a parent to sit with a child, you know, have a child on their lap while they're engaging in a, you know, one of our life chats or our coaching calls, you know, um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's just, a it is, it is a different way of looking at how, um, learning and education could be experienced. Um, and so, you know, and not everyone is a home educator because I know I'm, I know that that's what I do. And some people assume like, Oh, do you have to be a home educator to be here? No, like we have families that have their kids still in school, you know, that they're either virtual or going to school physically, uh, because there are families that recognize one, maybe they're not interested in having their kids with them all of the time. Like that's a real thing. That's a real thing. Don't feel That's don't ju- don't thing. feel judged, y'all. Some people don't, don't want to be with, can't be with their kids all day. Some people can't do it, and like, there's no judgment to that, right? Like, that's okay. Like, that's totally fine. Um, and so, and there are families that recognize, like, maybe they want to do that, but they just don't have the support network and system to be able to do that, right? right. Um, because you know, like I said, this I can I can do this because I have like a network of people that I can like lean on and support. You know, I can I, that can support me. Yeah, you um, talked a little so yeah, bit about something. you're an unschooler. Um, you've mentioned yourself as an unschooler, and there's all these other things like homeschooling, deschooling. Yeah. Do you have a sense of, like, the distinctions? Because, like we said, like, some parents can't, you know, they don't have the resources. They don't have, they can't do that, um, like the homeschooling or, so, you know, yeah. I, I like my son has actually returned back to school on campus. Um, yeah. And so, like, there's different, you know, different choices. A lot of us are making some, like, very hard choices. And so I know yeah. that sometimes folks feel shamed, right? Like, oh, my kid's back in school, yeah. so I should feel shamed that I sent my school, my kid back to this, like, you know, institution, right? And then there's other folks yep. who might feel shame because, you know, they their kid is on the virtual and just doing the video online and they don't have the capacity to do, like, this additional stuff. So, yeah, if you could unpack some of those kind of, like, mm-hmm. like, those differences and distinctions, if you can, yeah. um, so that folks just have a sense. Yeah, so, like, when I, when I think of homeschooling, um, and other people might have different thoughts about it, but... When I hear the word homeschooling, I'm thinking of someone who is doing school at home. So someone who probably is using more traditional, they're probably using like a curriculum, may not be a curriculum that the school district is using, right? But they're using some form of like curriculum or, you know, sort of some prescriptive something to guide instruction that's happening at home. They might even have like a schedule that might look similar to school, right? Most people who are homeschoolers, tend to be eclectic. So that's another word that people might hear is like eclectic homeschooling because the truth is once you take your kids out of school, it is kind of hard to just like decide I'm going to do the way, do what they do in school. I mean, the whole reason you're pulling them out is most likely because there are elements of school that you don't want to replicate. It might be the curriculum. It might be the scheduling. It might be whatever it may be. And so eclectic homeschoolers, which, you know, my experience, most people seem, seem to be eclectic is just doing a mix of different things. You you might have uh, a schedule that is more laid back. Um, yeah, maybe you might use the curriculum, but you're constantly modifying it. You're adjusting it based on the needs and interests of your kids. Um, you know, so there's a lot more flexibility that you um, 
instill in your practice, then you're probably just taking a little bit of, of everything, a little bit of like multiple different like practices. And then, um, you know, I mean, unschooling, unschoolers like myself, we follow a more self-directed education philosophy, which some eclectic homeschoolers may also do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but as an unschooler, you, we, don't, we don't use curriculum to drive the instruction. We use the passions and interests and cultural needs of our children and our family to drive that instruction. So, you know, um, if a child is interested in school and that's what they like to do, then technically you could have an unschooler who's actually in school. But they're an unschooler because they're there because the child chose to be there, not because they were forced or coerced or told that they had to be there, right? That's two different things. So it's really about children really taking a lead in their education and parents being a guide and a facilitator of that. So a big job that I, (laughs) a big role that I have is spending a lot of time observing my kids, paying attention to like what makes them tick, what are the things that, um, how do they learn best, you know, because each one is so different. Um, What are the things that really, really get them excited? And so my job is to connect them with learning experiences in and outside of our home to support and to further develop those passions that they have. Now, a lot of people get nervous. They think, well, you're not doing like formal reading, writing, math and history and like whatever all the academic subjects are in school. Um, Well, not in the same way that you would in, in a traditional like school setting. Right. So the way I see it is those are everyday life skills that they have to learn, right? Like our society has life skills our kids need to learn to, or to navigate them. Writing is a life skill. Like you can't, you can't basically, you can't get a job. You can't really navigate our world without knowing the basics of like reading, writing, and math, right? right. Basic foundation. I'm not talking about like calculus and all that crazy stuff, right? I'm just saying like the basics. And so what happens with young people when they're ready, you know, like my kids, you know, have learned to read, you know, my, well, my, they actually started reading really early, but when I realized that my, I was forcing early on my oldest to read in a traditional, I'm a former school teacher. So, and I taught like I was special ed. I taught 13, 14 year old kids who barely knew how to read, how to read. Right. So I knew like all the phonetical, like fundamentals of how to teach. So when I started picking all the flashcards out, my eldest is throwing those things, like, what? Like, get this out my face. I don't want to do this. This is boring, blah, blah, blah. And so I started noticing, like, reading time became something he hated, where he used to enjoy. And I had to take a step back and realize, okay, this doesn't work with him, and there's a huge cost. So, great, he's reading at four years old, but the cost in that is his love for reading. And I don't think it's worth the cost. So I'm going to take a step back and kind of, you know, um, take, take it easy. I'm not going to use these old school. That's when I started researching more about like unschooling and all of that. And so with a more natural approach, um, you know, through his passions, like for example, animals, right. My, he loves animals, loves researching animals. I noticed as a mom and I took those opportunities like, Hey, he loves to research animals on the computer. Well, guess what? You got to like type when you're on the computer, spell words, you got to read content. So Technically, he's learning how to read. It may not be through a phonetic, you know, John's basic or, you know, reading whatever book, but he's reading. Mm -hmm. And so through their everyday 
practices uh, or you know, opportunities to pursue their passions, at some point kids end up having to learn naturally some of those skills or come to me, you know, or their parent or whoever is in their life saying like, you know, hey, can you help me learn how to do this kind of math or learn, can you, I, I want you to help me with my reading a little bit more because I can't read this thing on this game that I like to play, right? Like that's what's happened in our household where my kids really have been learning their reading, writing, and math skills really through just everyday, mm. everyday living. Grocery store, I have them calculate the budget. Like here's our budget. You have to help me make sure that we stay within budget, right? I give them, they have, the, you know, they have sometimes, I don't give them calculators, but they'll have like some paper or pencil, and through that, I'm teaching them in the middle of the grocery store, like, how to regroup numbers, <laughs> add decimals, you know, how to round up, round down when we're looking at, at you know, numbers. Um, we weigh fruits, vegetables, you know, how, are, how do we read pounds versus ounces, how many ounces in a pound? Like, all of that math happens, honestly, in the grocery store. <laughs> and I've heard that from a lot of, like, homeschoolers or folks who, I don't know what they would call themselves, but... Um, <laughs> Because there's so many titles, but they've talked a lot about like math happens in the kitchen, and so yes, they're like all of our math classes, all of our math lessons. They're not even classes, right? Are like when we're cooking, they're measuring things, they're counting how many yep. eggs. Well, we need to do double this for our family size, so they're multiplying, they're dividing, and they're like all of our math happens in the kitchen. And I'm all like, oh. Yeah. And then they're like, well, if your child is really into sports, you know, people have tried to give me tips. Yeah. Like if your child's really into like running or racing or things like that, like give them a stopwatch and tell them to calculate how much time it took in the first exactly. lap. Then calculate, can you go faster? How many seconds faster were you this time? Like that's addition, that's subtraction. So that's what we do. <laughs> I've heard all the ways. And then I'm like, yeah, but I don't know how to do that. <laughs> Not every. Well, and here's the thing. It all sounds nice, right? It is but nice. Like, I want it so bad, but I just definitely and 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 I I, um, I want it so bad. And I've read, you know, the art the article. You actually wrote an article I want to get to too, around like um, it's like I want it so bad, but like, am I being have I been colonized to think that I actually don't know how to do it? Like, like yeah. what about <laughs> what about um. Is it colonization or is it capitalism or is it both? Capital. Like, because it's, it's like, I, I would want to do that. And I also want to make money to pay for this house that we live in, you know? Um, and, and so it's just like, yeah, I, you know, I, I have these conversations and I do this for the, for the folks and also knowing like, y'all listen, my kid is at a institution. Right. And I spend a lot, like I spend a lot of my liberated practice, like pushing the institutions to be and so I spent a lot of my energy pushing institutions to be like hey curriculum we're black people we're indigenous people you know like I'm doing that right so I'm spending a lot of my energy pushing the institution and you know I feel like we need both of our approaches and so I'm trying to like sit and be like non-judgmental that like I put my kid back in institution and like I'm put like my liberated practice is like I push the institution to hold it accountable to my black child and then you're on the outside also pushing for the institutions to just be different and so you wrote an article Early on, um, in the in the early mm-hmm. on part of COVID, um, that was called um, "Why Go Back to Why Go Back to Normal Schooling When We Can Choose Freedom from Oppression Instead." And yeah. um, in that article, you know, you were talking about like the the impact of colonization, even on like making us think that the people who teach our kids have to have a particular degree and all of that. Right. Um, 
And like you said, you are a special ed teacher. And so my son has different learning needs. And I often feel like, oh, Mm -hmm. I don't understand how that works. And I don't understand, like, I'm neurotypical. And so I don't understand the way that his brain functions. You know, so then I'm like, I trip myself up, right? And so all of that to say, like, I'm just sitting here in um, in the, like, murkiness of, like, not trying to shame myself or feel that shame about like he's an institution, but also being able to say, okay, but let me pause and reflect on like, what are the ways that I have been colonized to think that the institution and pushing that institution is the, is, is the best use of my energy and time, mm-hmm. um, you know? Um, Cause it's still extra labor that I'm doing outside of work. Right. Um, yeah. You ain't getting paid for that. <laughs> That's oh, emotionally. I've, I've tried to get a contract <laughs> with the school. Like, you know, <laughs> like you I can be a consultant for y'all because it seems like you need a, a culturally relevant <laughs> curriculum expert or something here. Um, so I definitely use that for my volunteer hours as a parent. I'm like, um, I'm not volunteering for any of these other meetings or I'm not bringing any water bottles to this because I volunteer my pushing of your institution yeah yeah so so i mean you're right those two things have to happen right there's like there's the equity and and i differentiate between equity and liberation work those things have to happen simultaneously right they're and they're parallel to each other right um we have to do equity work within systems and that's harm reduction because that's real like we've got kids I mean, we've got kids that are, like, physically dying, like, being killed, that are, you know, whose lives are on the line um, in schools because of the types of oppressive policies and practices that many of our educational schools employ, right? And so, yeah, we need to be pushing for the changes of those policies, the changes of the curriculum, the changes of those practices, right? That's the equity work that needs to happen. At the same time, challenging the entire system, right? At the same time saying, like, why can't we plant some new seeds in another orchard and grow a whole other new tree, right? Because the tree here that we're, that we're trying to, like, you know, trim up the nice branches and all that, like, the roots are rotten. Like, the roots and foundation of, and, I, and I'm not just talking about public, I'm talking about public and private, right? Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the system of schooling, right, right. was intentionally designed to separate the have and the have not and to provide a different type of education for those they de- they deemed as were the have not and a different type of education for those they deemed are the haves, right? Like, that is the definition of public and private. So when we get angry at, like, the outcomes, like, the truth is, like, the system is working perfectly. It's designed to produce these kinds of inequities that we see. And I think that was like the hard thing for me to come to grips, you know, someone as an educator, someone who's been in education for a long time was, and was trying so hard to figure out like, how do we shift? How do we change these things? And there is, there's, but so much we can do there. There does reach us, reach a sort of limitation to that. But the beautiful thing is that doesn't mean that education or like a, you know, formalized in the sense that it can happen outside of like your home, right. It can happen outside of like, in a, in a separate space, whether it's a learning center, a, you know, a, a micro school, a cooperative, right? Like, these are all of the options a lot of parents don't know exist out there, right? Like, there's co-ops, there's micro schools, there's, you know, 
all sorts of, you know, things happening inside of church buildings in the basement. Like there's all sorts of different ways in which collective learning can happen. It doesn't have to look the way our system of private and public schooling has defined it to look like. So, you know, the work has to happen all at the same time, Trina. And um, we can't feel guilty for being on either or because there are times sometimes I feel guilty. Like, oh, my like, contributing to like public schools falling apart because I'm choosing to take my, pull my kids out. Right. Like there's also that, that I have, like I deal with as a, as a parent who's supposed supposed to be, you know, I still work as a consultant in school systems. Right. Um, But, you know, you also have to do what, what feels right for yourself at the time in your life. Right. Like you've got to do what, what is being called, what is the work that's being called for us to do? Each of us, play a role in that in different parts of this work some of us are the harm reducers some of us are the liberators some of us are doing two some of us are and then there's others that are causing harm (laughs) right and even and i think yeah i think we all have roles in this we all have roles in the 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 fight for our collective liberation and we all play different roles and we all have different gifts and strengths and i think even the idea of being ashamed or having guilt or shame about the role that we're in is a part mm-hmm. of colonization. Absolutely. Uh, that, is, that is a part yeah. of internalized oppression is to doubt ourselves and to, to, yeah. to, to blame ourselves, right? Like, oh, we're not making the best that's choices. True. That is definitely, like, that's one of the things that I'm, you know, working to unlearn. But I know that so many other yeah. folks are probably also holding that you know, they might be holding that as they're listening to this conversation. So I definitely wanted to bring that up. Um, yeah. So that folks can know that, like, you know, wherever you are in your journey, um, in terms of, like, the education for your child, that one of the first steps, as you've shared, based on, you know, your philosophy, is that it's a lot of the unpacking for ourselves. Um, so as you're on that journey and figuring out what school or what educational system or, you know, whatever structure is going to be best for your family, just making sure our kids are involved in those conversations. And then also yep. making sure that when we enter into those conversations that we're also doing our own unlearning. Yeah. Around what is yep. the right, quote unquote, uh, educational environment for our kids. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love that, Trina, the, just like talking with our kids, listening, actually like honoring them. Like when they say, I don't. I don't like this place, right? Like, I don't want to go back. How often are we forced as parents to ignore our children's wants and desires because we're forced to believe that we should know better and they don't know? They don't. How could they not know what they feel? It's their body. Right. <laughs> it's their body, right? Like, right. <laughs> Mm, yeah. This has been such um, a good conversation. I really appreciate it. I know your, you know, your kids are going to a cooking class soon, so you have to have math time. <laughs> it's math, but it's a cooking class, but it's math. It's cooking class, um, yeah. <laughs> so I know you got to get them on there, and I, I, I would be remiss because we're recording this, and it's been one week exactly when we're recording this from the election. Oh my God. Um, yeah. And you know, your 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 organization is called My Reflection Matters. Yeah. And, um, you know, we have this huge, huge new reflection um, for our babies to look My up God. to in the office. Um, yeah. You know, Kamala Harris is the first woman of color who is in I a know. vice president role. And so I was just curious, you know, as we close, um, why is this powerful sense of reflection um, that our babies can see reflected back in one of the greatest uh, positions in our government. Um, why is that so important to us, our children, um, and yeah. our communities? You know, 
it's inter- it's interesting because a lot of time, you know, I work a lot, you know, as a consultant in school, and one of the things that often comes up is this the question around like diversity of staff, right? Mm-hmm. And or we don't, you know, we're really struggling. You know, we we can't we, we can't find teachers of color, we can't find leaders of color, principals of color, superintendents of color, and you know, we need to hire more. And usually I ask them, well, why do you want to hire them more? Well, because, you know, we have a population that um, is mostly black and brown in terms of our students that we serve. And, well, you know, um, they, they're, prob- they're probably more culturally responsive or could, you know, understand um, the needs of their community. Now, chances are probably, right? But I would argue there's a bigger need for having folks of color in leadership roles, right? Because, our kids need to see people that look like them taking on various forms of roles in our society, right? And we know that too often black and brown children, you know, when they are in school, right, and, or if they're looking in the public eye, in this case, you know, presidency, you know, that's dominated. There's, just, there's one image that they see all the time. And when you're seeing that same image for all of the time, you start to internalize, you start to believe that only the image that I see and the people that fit that image can become those things, right? Like, that's not something for me. And so I think the physical image of, you know, seeing Kamala up there, I think is profound. And for me, that is, that is um, super important for not just my kids, but for all kids in the world to see women in leadership, women of color in leadership. Um, and then the next piece I would add to that, is that we shouldn't also get comfortable when we have folks of color in positions of power and it's like, okay, we've done a good job, we're good, right? Ashe. Because that doesn't mean that we just stop holding our leaders accountable, right? And it doesn't right. also mean that just because you hire a person of color that that makes them culturally responsive. Like that's, you know, that they, right. you know, that's a, that they don't engage in whiteness. <laughs> or right. Internalized racial oppression is a, is a real thing. It's a real thing. So, like, I'm just saying, like, yes, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate because the reflection in that image is powerful and sends uh, a a very important message to our children. And also, let's not get too comfortable. And we still got a lot of work to do to hold our leaders accountable to make sure that um, that we aren't uh, internalizing a lot of that trash that Kamala, she has to deal with, that she's up, she's, you know, facing with in her in her role, you know, as as VP, which yeah. is real, and I just can't even imagine what that pressure must be like. But um, yeah, but it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it is definitely. Be- it's been so beautiful just to see like little little girls of color looking at you know her on screen, seeing her with her her nieces. Um, you know, yeah. it definitely is a moment of like, oh, reflection does matter. That now little girls of yeah. color, you know, children of color, period, can also be like, oh, I also can be in that position I, you know there's also uh, yeah. other possibilities for us and and you're right we definitely have to hold our leaders accountable regardless of their their race their color their you know all of that that accountability to the people is still essential and so i know that folks are still going to be organizing um but i definitely yeah. think that this is this 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 these candidates these elects the new president and vice president elect <laughs> um are are organizable i believe in a way yeah. that we can well, hopefully get some of the, the, the supports that we need for our community. 
Much more so that we are in a better position than we were before. I'll tell you that. Ashe, Ashe. It's definitely a time to celebrate. Thank you so much yes, for talking to me and sharing more about the village. Can you share the website so that folks can learn how to access all of the amazing things that you offer at the village? Yeah, if, yeah, if you visit our, our mother site, which is myreflectionmatters.org, there'll be a pop-up that'll invite you to join the My Reflection Matters Village, like I said, it's free. Pop in, take a look and see what some of the offerings are. Um, and then folks can decide if they just like staying in the free network or if they want to move up to one of our paid memberships. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, have a good day and Thank enjoy you. cooking class tonight. Oh, yes. Thank you, <laughs> Trina. All right. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. I hope that something shared on this episode helps you on your journey to liberated parenting. To learn more about our other episodes, check out our website at www.parentingforliberation.org backslash podcast. Please like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, make sure you give us a good review.